Welcome to RiskWise, a show about money for Muslims, where you'll learn how to make smarter financial decisions without selling your soul. For the full experience, join us at no cost at riskwise.com. And we are back. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Thank you for joining us again. Assalamu alaikum. This is Saeed uh, here with my good friend Ahmed. Hopefully, not to fight uh, as we did last time. I don't know. We'll see, though. I'm already in a bad mood because you just started attacking my Apple products and my Google software for your what? Mike? Mike? What's what are they? What's that called? We're gonna start a flame war right now. <laughs> Mike, you what were you advocating for? Microsoft OneNote, the OneNote desktop brother. application. Absolutely, hands down, far and above and beyond anything Google Drive can do. Like, there's no contest at all. Yeah, we we are gonna lose a lot of listeners, but but for for those of you who are deeply offended by what he just said, don't worry, so am I, and you <laughs> you have an advocate on this show. All right. I'm just so angry. <laughs> Anyhow, alhamdulillah, we're back. Uh, and we're, we're talking about budgeting again, which is funny because last episode we told everyone that budgeting is incredibly boring mm-hmm. and we're going to try to spare them as much as possible. And here we are at it again, the next episode, talking about the same thing. I'm not here by choice, people. <laughs> but But for good reason. Last episode, we talked a lot about some of the mechanics of budgeting and kind of mm-hmm. the how-to and the different strategies that you can use to do it right. Yeah, to make budgeting meaningful to you and the, the different ways that are out there now. I mean, budgeting back in the day, as we said, it was different. The way it is now can be a lot difficult in some ways, but easier in other ways. And uh, unfortunately, it still is necessary for us to do to some level. Yeah, and what we felt was necessary to follow that up with was you know, kind of a reminder about the big picture purpose of budgeting, but also some warnings because there's there's a lot of ways that the budgeting process can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find that most people who who kind of go through this process of building a budget, eventually it, it, it fails miserably. And there's exactly. some very common reasons as to why that happens. And we want to go through what those are so you can try to avoid those mistakes and those pitfalls. Exactly, exactly. So let's, let's start off, Saeed, with just kind of a big picture reminder about why we're doing budgeting. What's the whole point of this exercise? Mm-hmm. A lot of people can get caught up in the details of um, budgeting, the exercise of actually data collecting and categorizing your spending and you know tracking your receipts. And all of that is good. I mean, it needs to be done. That's the, the actions that need to be taken with budgeting, but that's not the point of it. It's necessary, but it's not the conclusion. It's a means to budgeting is a means to an end, not the end itself. Really, the first thing that we want to accomplish with a budget is is understanding, is knowledge of where your money is going first and foremost. But that's again, that's not the end. That's the first thing we have to do when we complete a budget is know where your money is going right now. Where are you spending it? How is it being spent? Where does it fall under different categories? Um, and, and not just categories of like, you know, groceries and, and gifts and whatever, but I mean the three big categories that we spoke about last time, which was necessities, wants, and savings. So needs, wants, and savings. Uh, we, we talked about a ratio of 30%, uh, sorry, 50, 30, 20, 50 into necessities, things that you absolutely need, housing, food, transportation, uh, 30% into wants, things that you want to do for your family that you, you know, makes you and your your kids and your spouse happy, your parents happy, um, and then 20% into savings. So, but the first part is just knowing where it is. That's not the end though. 
Yeah, it's like it's like losing weight, right? If you want to lose weight, the very first thing you should do is get on the scale. Where are you today? What is your current state? What are you dealing with, right? And if you don't have a good picture of what you're dealing with currently, then no budget in the world is going to save you. And what people tend to do is they kind of think, well, here's what I want to do. And they wonder why they can't accomplish that when they haven't actually sat down and looked at their baseline. They exactly. haven't looked at what's actually happening today. What's their starting point? What's point A? Right. So that's that's the first purpose of budgeting. The second purpose is to then define, once you know where you're at, you know where your money's going currently to define where it should be going. And that's mm-hmm. where the that rule of thumb that we shared last episode and that Said referred to just now, the 50-30-20 rule, that's where that's critical, right? Because that's it's not a hard and fast rule. It's a rule of thumb, meaning that it may work for you, you may need to adjust it for your particular circumstances, but it's a good rule of thumb. It's a good yardstick to measure yourself against. So 50% necessities, 30% wants, um, and 20% savings. And if you and can re- save more than that, you'll be better off. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why that ratio is a good yardstick is because when you do this budgeting process, you're going to have a whole bunch of numbers in a bunch of different categories. And it'll be difficult at first to identify, where am I Where am I going wrong here? Like, I, I know I want to be saving more. I know I want to be spending less. But I'm looking at all this data of where money is going. And I kind of don't really know where to start. Where should I be focusing on? I mean, I only spent 50 bucks on coffee. And you guys always talk about coffee. So 50 bucks isn't going to do much. So that's not really it. Where should I really be spending my time? And that yardstick does a good job of saying, okay, well, now that we've categorized things out into, you know, food, dining out, entertainment, uh, gifts, you know, uh, activities with the kids, uh, rent or mortgage, car payments, gas. Once we've categorized all these different things, we can then put a little um, uh, a little uh, asterisk or an abbreviation beside each of those categories and say, okay, groceries, well, that's a neat necessity. I mean, I'm not spending ludicrous amounts of money on, you know, bad groceries. They're groceries. Going out to eat, movies, you know, movie tickets for the kids, um, you know, recreational park tickets for the kids or whatever, those are wants. We put a W before uh, beside that. And savings, if savings is a part of your budget, you know, you can put an S there. And then we can categorize all these different little categories into three big ones. Adding up all the things that fall under needs, adding up all the things that fall under wants, and adding up all the things that fall under savings, we should look to around a 50, 30, 20 ratio. If your budget looks like, you know, 70% is needs, 70% is occupied by a necessary food, uh, and what I mean by that is like, you know, obviously main basic groceries, not going out to eat and take out. Um, if 70% is occupied by that food, you know, transportation, uh, housing costs. Yeah, I mean, it, coffee doesn't matter to you. That's, coffee isn't where we need to be focusing. You're probably not even spending money on coffee, hopefully. In, in fact, you probably deserve a good coffee to, you know, <laughs> to calm <laughs> the stress down of your, you know, out of control budget. Yeah, and it's no wonder why if you're 70% necessities, why you're not saving. So that's where we need to be looking at. How can we reduce that ratio? And the third goal of the budgeting exercise is to come up with strategies to to address that gap for the long haul. And this is where habit building becomes really, really important. Once you know where your money is currently going and you've defined where it should be going, where you should be spending your money to bring it in line with those rules of thumb and to achieve your savings targets and so on, how do you actually make that happen? And it's easy to do it for a month. And it's yeah. easy to do it for two months and maybe even three months. Mm-hmm. But old habits die hard. 
mm-hmm. it's also easy to slip back into those old patterns of behavior. And unless you have kind of a systematic approach to changing your habits as they relate to your spending, you're going to fall back. Yeah. And I would actually argue, Ahmed, that this changing habits is the ultimate purpose of budgeting. Knowing where your money is going, figuring out where it should be going, those are also, I would say, the means to the ultimate end of budgeting, which is building new habits. No, I I completely agree because what what is a budget ultimately? It's once you've done the planning work and you've identified, you know, where where you want to be, a budget is just it's a spreadsheet or a document or a piece of software that, you know, adds up numbers and puts them into categories. Mm-hmm. Once your habits are already doing the hard work for you of controlling your spending and, and kind of uh, disciplining yourself to be able to stay within those boundaries, you don't need the spreadsheet because you know like, your, your behavior is already uh, in line with those goals. Exactly. You've already uh, determined to unsubscribe from all those Amazon emails that you get because you bought that one thing from them and now they're flooding you with stuff and you're buying more from them. Unsubscribe from all those sales emails, every you know uh, clothing store that you walk into today, they're asking for emails. It's crazy. Well, just don't unsubscribe from RiskWise, though. That one, you're gonna wanna, <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want to stay on that list, right? Yeah. The, you know, the people that are selling you stuff that you probably don't need, um, all those merchandisers, all those retailers, you know, once you unsubscribe from all those guys, once you've put down the flyers that you get whenever you get them and just chuck them into recycling right away and not look at them because flyers are meant to promote further sales, not really as a favor to you to get discounts. Um, and, and you've changed the habits that you've gotten into. Yeah, there, there's a very strong argument that if you're solidly built new habits, which, which could take months or years, that you can stop budgeting now. But let's not rush to that. First. Yeah, let, let's let's jump in now to the mistakes. That d- despite the best of intentions, you know, you would not be the first, right? Despite the best of intentions, many people go through this process of budgeting and they're inspired and they're motivated in the early days to really, you know, get their financial house in order. And they say, I'm going to make a budget and I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to control my spending. I'm going to do this and this and that, right? A few months later, nothing's changed. They might even be worse off. Right. Right. And there's three mistakes that we've identified that people more often than not, make, and that kills the entire process. Mm -hmm. Give us the first one, Saeed. So the first is that people simply get consumed by the data collection and entering process. Depending on what strategy you use, like what software or what kind of method you use, you know, this could be a, a greater or lesser risk depending on the way that you do decide to do your budget. But in, in any case, people can get consumed by the data collection itself. So people can get into too much detail. Like for example, you know, it, when it comes to gifts, you could say, well, okay, I want to subcategorize gifts as birthday gifts versus wedding gifts versus whatever gifts versus other kinds of gifts and just not not at all necessary right it, the point is not to track who how much money you're giving to each person in the form of gifts it's how much you're giving giving money into things that you want to do that you may or may not need to in the future so people get caught up in that detailed categorization uh, people get caught up in you know Okay, I went to the grocery store, I spent $100, but $20 was actually in a, on a book and the other 80 was groceries. So, okay, how do I categorize this? I, I don't, my software doesn't let me split this up into two different categories. This sucks. I can't do this anymore. Um, the software is not great. This whole budgeting exercise doesn't make sense anymore. That's it. I'm stopping. 
yeah, because I, the data I, collection. I, I'll give you a very personal anecdote about that. I mean, that was me when I first discovered mint.com that was kind of like that's when i decided to really take budgeting seriously and it was really only because oh there's a tool that makes it easy now i'll actually do it right yeah exactly or so i thought it makes it easy and that's an important point and we talked about mint.com and and the availability of tools like that to make the tracking easier it definitely makes tracking and data collection easier but it's not easy it creates its own set of complications so i don't want to create the impression that that's some kind of silver bullet that if you use a tool like this and everything's going to sort itself out that's not true and this is one of the reasons right because with these tools there's just so much data they're tracking everything for you and the input is easy because it all gets tracked automatically but now you've actually got to do something with this data mm-hmm. and that's what's really intimidating and so you know, what they have is they have these predetermined categories and you can change them and you can create your own categories. So, of course, you know, being the, you know, kind of data geek that I am, I went and I made like, you know, like 20 categories. Like everything had a category. If there's any dollar in that budget that didn't have a category, it was like it would bother me to no end. I had to find a category for it. So you didn't and have any miscellaneous? I did have miscellaneous, but I would try to like, you know, bring that number down as low as possible. Okay. So food for, I remember this in particular, like food had like, like eight categories. <laughs> so there's like, there's like coffee that I buy at work. Right. Yeah. And, th- and then there's lunches eating out and then there's dinners out and then there's groceries. Right. And then there's like snacks. And the thinking was, well, each of these spending categories has its own trigger event and its own behavior. And if I can track each behavior separately, I can identify, you know, what's what's out of whack and what needs to be changed. The problem is you spend all your time setting the categories and not thinking about where your money's actually going. Yeah. You just get completely consumed by the process of tracking that you no longer have time left to actually make meaningful decisions based on the data you're tracking. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like you, you kind of set up this very complicated system that becomes very cumbersome to maintain. And then it's just easier to kind of just stop mm-hmm. and give up altogether and ignore it because it's creating more stress than it's than it's removing. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the cures, if not the cure to this particular fi- uh, downfall of budgeting is to recognize that ultimately we're gonna take all the data that you've put into all these beautiful, nice little nifty categories and we're gonna distill them down into three. Three categories at the end of the day. And, and honestly, that's ultimately, this is why I'm so big on the 50, 30, 20 rule, because when I first read that, that was a game changer. All of it's a, a sudden, it did not matter whether it was a coffee that I bought at work or whether it was a dinner that I ate out. That all got lumped into a category, which got lumped into a category. And it was just, it was my moment of zen. <laughs> I'm going to steal the words out of your mouth, Saeed. <laughs> And it was just like all of a sudden everything changed, right? So now I still track a lot of that stuff, but ultimately it's just a few numbers that matter. Yeah, exactly. And and that's, you know, although Ahmed, you did mention something that we probably should touch on is the, the rationale, the original rationale for your many different categories was because different things had different triggers. So let's say going for a coffee was a midday slump. And that feeling of being slumped would trigger you to go and get a coffee. And then at the end of the month, you would say, okay, well, those midday slumps cost me $400. So I need well, something different has about lo- that. Coffee has lots of triggers for me, right? So coffee is like... Because <laughs> you don't know this about Ahmed. <laughs> coffee he is... Lo- he I, loves... I wake up. I wake up. It's coffee. 
Um, okay, uh, but let me, let, me just, writing. let me let me let me just explain one thing about Ahmed. It's not just that he loves coffee, right? It's, he's not one of those people that drinks six cups of coffee from like random little donut shops. Ahmed loves good coffee. Like it has to be phenomenal. I I have not. I am not anywhere near the skill level to make a cup of coffee that Ahmed would actually drink yet. I need a couple more years of training. That's how Ahmed loves coffee. It's a different kind of love. Yeah, so let's get this over with because I want to go grab a cup of coffee. <laughs> so the, 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 ch- the changing of the triggers, that does make sense, and that's a behavioral change that you'll have to make, but it's not a, something that you need to build into the budget because the budget really is all about needs, wants, and savings. So don't get too caught up in the nitty-gritty. That's where people first fail. They get, they, it's a data collection task. They don't do data collection in their day-to-day life like this. They look at it. It seems daunting, and they say, screw it. And to be clear, I'm not suggesting that your budget has three lines, right? Uh, necessities, wants, and savings. No, because that's not, that's also not meaningful because mm-hmm. it, you're not going to be able to dig down into each of those buckets and see what's putting you over the edge in each right. category, right? So you, you have to have enough data to be able to make meaningful decisions. But if you're tracking things and creating data that's not going to lead to an actual decision, a meaningful, beneficial decision, don't waste your time. Yep. Move on. Absolutely. The second mistake, Said. This is, okay, so when I have clients come into the office for financial planning, um, the first thing we have a little phone talk for about 15, 20, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour. Uh, and then and then in that call, I say, all right, I'm going to need uh, a few things from you. One of the things that I want is a, a list of your expenses. So I want to know what your budget is like on a month-to-month basis. And that's the beginning of the very first meeting that I have with clients. So think about how important but also fundamentally the starting point this really is. The the major downfall that I find with people when they build a budget is that I, I you know, I put the, give a spread give them a spreadsheet or put a piece of paper in front of them or whatever it is, and they off the top of their head just start writing down what they think they spend on different things. So obviously you'll know what you spend on mortgage and house and on and, and renting and all that kind of stuff. Whatever your house arrangements are, you'll know what that is. You'll you'll write that down. You'll write down your taxes, your property taxes and all that stuff. You'll write down how much your car payments are, because you know those numbers. But that's not what I'm worried about, hopefully. Everything else are going to be completely inaccurate. So how much did you spend on food? I mean, unless you actually went back to look at last month's food bills and, and, and grocery receipts or the statements on your bank online, anything that you write down without looking at it is wildly inaccurate. So, so the first thing that we do with a budget is, you know, let's understand where you think your money is going. So do it off the top of your head. Go ahead. Put it all down off the top of your head where you think your money is going. Now, once that's done, and, and here, here's the failure. When people think about a budget, they download a spreadsheet and they you know start filling it in to their budget. They'll, they'll fill it in based on what they think and then they'll stop there and that's it. They've done a budget, they think. And that's wildly incorrect because that's, that data is going to be wildly inaccurate. There has to be, you have to push forward into the next step. So do it once based on what you think you're spending. But recognize, you know, you probably, if you take home, let's say 4000 a month after tax, and you do all of this budgeting exercise off the top of your head, you're probably only going to account for 50% of your expenses, probably, or 60% of your expenses. And by that math, you should be saving like two grand a month. But that's not happening, right? So obviously, where you think your money is going is not actually where it's going. So let's take it one step further 
now that we have something that is theoretical, let's do something that's practical and do that budget again, but actually with real numbers from your bank and credit card statements from last month. And, and then there, we compare them. There's a, there's a really good reason why that happens too. And it's important to understand psychologically why we do this. It's the same reason why you you are much more comfortable and you enjoy thinking about the future and thinking about your goals than actually taking action towards achieving those goals, <laughs> right? Like, let, let's say you, you want to get in shape, right? You want to exercise, you want to you work out, you want to just you know, be stronger, be more fit. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more interesting and a lot more fun to think about what that's going to be like than to go outside and to go for a run. Yeah. Right? And this is, this is just, this is human nature, right? We tend to think and daydream about all the things that we want to achieve, but we very rarely take the steps required to achieve those things because those steps are by necessity uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They are uncomfortable steps. So it's it's nice to sit down and think, oh, here's where I think my money's going. Hey, it looks pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> this is not so bad, right? Yeah. It, it's very uncomfortable to then say, okay, here's where it's actually going. Here are the actual numbers. Here are the actual statements. And here's what's actually happening. And then the realizations that often come with that, those are very uncomfortable. And we naturally tend to want to avoid going through that process. Mm -hmm. And this is what I would call the gap. The difference between where you think your money is going. So let's say you know, 4,000 is what you you guys, your household takes home a month. You've done it based on what you think you're spending and you've come up to two grand. That's how much you're spending on everything in total. So you should have $2,000 in savings. Obviously, you look at your savings account. It's not there every month. Um, so where is it actually going? Okay, so then we move to the next step. And now we do the budget again based on last month's expenses. And you realize last month you actually spent $4,100. Your gap? Well, that, well, that was different, say. That, you know, I mean, there was, uh, there was a wedding that month. Yep. And um, my, my niece's, uh, you know, Akhika had, you yep. know, buy, buy her a nice gift. Yeah, and um, you know the guys wanted to go out for a steak dinner, so we went out for a steak dinner. But but those are, I mean, those are exceptions. That doesn't happen every month. Well, what about the month before? Well, that was different. That was um, you know, that was the golf tournament. Oh yeah, the golf tournament. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't play golf, but and then there was Eid and you know the Eid gifts that came around and stuff. Yeah, this right here, when you realize what your gap is, this this is your moment of Zen. You've got to be one with that gap. The difference between what you think you're spending and what you actually are spending. There is a gap there. Be one with that gap. You are spending more than you think. You do it every month. You always have a good reason for it. But it's hurting your future. When you figure out what your gap is, that is your moment of clarity. That moment that clarity that Ahmed had with his 50-30-20 rule and figuring out that, you know, the data collection that he was doing was too detailed, this gap analysis, the, the difference, that has got to be your moment of Zen. And it's not until we go through this exercise and figure out what your gap is and you consciously and deeply accept it that budgeting is going to make a, make a difference to going on to our third reason why budgets fail. But we need that gap. We need to know what that is. You That's really like, do sound like a Buddhist monk, by the way, when you said when you said moment of Zen and yeah. the clarity in your voice. <laughs> I guess it, you did. It was very soothing. I mean, I have goosebumps, to be honest. <laughs> I did rip that from uh, John Stewart. So I'll give credit where credit is due. Oh, what? In the last episode? Apparently he does it uh, many episodes. I don't watch all of his shows, but uh, he definitely did it in his last episode. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mistake number three. 
Go ahead. Okay. As we had mentioned before, budgets, the ultimate goal and purpose of a budget is to change habit. But the reason why budgets really fail and why anybody who may talk to, and they might say, yeah, I did a budget before, it didn't really work. Well, it didn't work for the third reason, likely because we didn't continue to track our expenses, work with that data, understand what our gap is. is. So, we, you know, we did it on last month. We know what our gap is. We kind of realize this is what's happening regularly. Um, but let's continue to do it for this month and next month and the month after that and the month after that so that we can actually create change in behavior. Again, that's the ultimate goal, right? We want to track these expenses because we need to change things, right? We need to find that 20% for savings. We need to put money away for X, Y, Z goal. And that's not happening and time is passing and you're getting older and your career of, of course is progressing, but we need to be investing and saving for your future. We need to change these habits. That's why we're budgeting. Many, many people don't continue. And I would say most, if not all, do not continue with their budgets and continue to track their expenses month, expenses month to month long enough to affect an actual change, a real meaningful change in their behavior. And because a behavior change, a habit change did not occur, budgeting was a failure. So there's really two big mistakes baked into this one, right? Okay. One is that people, I think, don't even approach this from the perspective of habits, of, of removing bad habits and replacing them with good ones. That's the mm -hmm. first mistake. And I think what, what people do is once they identify where they are and where they should be, they try to use good old-fashioned discipline and willpower and brute force basically to make it happen. And, and that can work for a month, two months, three months maybe, right? But then eventually you fall into old patterns of behavior. Mm -hmm. And unless you are taking a systematic approach to habit formation, then there's no way to ensure that your action will be sustainable in the long term. And and by habit formation, there's a lot to discuss there. And I think we've dealt with it quite a yeah. bit in the episode on, on discipline and willpower, which we'll link to in the show notes. But right. just really quickly, a habit has three parts. There's the trigger, i.e. the event that um, that triggers the behavior. There's the action itself. And there's the reward. So you've got to identify, first of all, the action. What is the actual action or the habit that you're trying to change? Like, let's say, um, going out to eat or, or take, ha having takeout every Friday night with the family. Perfect. Then you've got to identify the trigger event. I'm exhausted. After well, and then it's Friday night also, right? It's Friday yep. night, end of the week. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I deserve this, mm -hmm. right? And then the, the, the reward could be a number of things, right? It could be... Um, whether if it's if it's order if it's going out it could be an outing with the family if it's ordering in it could be you know that greasy fried chicken <laughs> and, and the, <laughs> the reward that comes with that the, that you would never make at home because you when you do it yourself you realize how much salt and oil is in, is required it could be the feeling of treating your family and making your kids happy and the reward that comes with that there's no hard and fast rule here right like you got to identify your habits you got to identify the triggers that that um, spark those those actions and then you've got to identify the rewards that come with those and we can't do that for you and there's a certain trial and error process that has to take place there and that can't be shortcutted like it's just there's just no shortcut to take like you've got to go through that process if you want to enact you know actual long-term changes in behavior and how long that's the other question 
How long do we continue to track this? How long do we continue to try and form new habits? How long does that take? Well, Google it and you'll find a variety of opinions. How long does it take to change a habit or to form a habit? Some people say a week. Some people say 21 days. Some people say 40 days. And some people, and this is the opinion that I'm more inclined to, say it depends. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I mean, it just makes sense, right? It depends on the habit. It depends on the reward. It depends on the uh, on how well entrenched the habit is in your behavior. It depends on, on the emotions that are driving the habit. Uh, you know, we are complex human beings. With- I would say, like, anecdotally, without having hard data behind me, when it comes to budgeting, it takes people, clients that I work with, myself included, it takes years. It, it, it takes from somebody who's never done anything in personal finance who's really just starting from scratch and trying to understand money and understand the role that money plays and, and what they have to do reality to make those goals happen. It takes years to really digest the information, understand what money really is and the role, like, you know, the future value of money and why investing is important. It can take many, it can take, you know, two or three years. The budgeting habit formation, I've seen that happen much, much quicker, like within four months. But that's kind of a, an exception to the rule. So unfortunately, the, 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 the end result is that any kind of budget exercise that you use that we talked about in our last episode, you've got to live with that for a while, a few months, six months, maybe a year, maybe two years, so that you and your spouse and your family can get used to the new parameters of life. And that, that may take time. Well, and I think there's, a, there's an important mindset shift that has to take place there. And it's, it's that a lot of people think that, you know, this whole personal finance thing, budgeting, like it's just like a checklist, right? Like you just check, 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 go through the list, fix this, fix that. And then eventually everything will be good and I'll be fine, right? And I think what you'll find is as you go through this process and certainly Saeed finds out with his clients that it's not a checklist, it's a journey, right? Oh, there are certain yeah. realizations that, that you have to go through over time that necessarily have to happen over time and through experience and through trial and error. And it's only through that journey that, you know, you're going to come out on the other side. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I love it. Journey is such a good word for this. And hopefully it's a good journey. There are going to be d- downfalls and pitfalls. Um, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have struggles through that, through that journey. But the end goal here is that you have a better, more secure future in whichever way you define that. And Hey, we're here for you. Absolutely. There are comment sections. Is that too corny? (laughs) No, no. I mean, we've been replying to emails, people who have been emailing us diligently, people who have commented in the comment section a lot. We've uh, really tried to be there for our listeners. And if we're failing there, let me know. Yeah, definitely let Saeed know, for sure. (laughs) All right. I think that's a wrap, Saeed. Anything else? Absolutely. No, man. This is the downfalls of budgeting episode in the wraps. I'm looking forward to the next one. Okay, inshallah. And I look forward to outlining the next episode with you on Google Drive. Brought to you by the good folks at Google and not on Microsoft OneNote. Google, we know everything about you. <laughs> they know what we're talking about before we do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Jazakallah khair, Saeed. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum